Thank you very much. Good to see everybody. Well, this morning I want to start with a statement. Satan, uh, Satan, statement, uh, statement that's basically culturally true. And if you uh, live long enough and as an adult, you know this, everything's negotiable. Everything's negotiable, am I right? If you handle money, you know, everything's negotiable. You want to get the best deal, the best car, the best price on your, uh, um, I don't know, your motorcycle or something or something like that. I just negotiated a lease with the help of an elder of the church who knows how to handle money, and that was not fun, but it worked. They saved money, and that was good. And we know that if you um, live very long, you know that there's this, um, you know, some people can just go right up to a gas station and ask for a cheaper price. They don't normally get it. Some people will go up to a, a, a department store or something and get a cheaper price. And, and so it's good to save money. And so we learn more or less how to negotiate. And then there's those of us among us who do not like to negotiate. I just don't like that pressure. I don't like to make anyone feel, you know, whatever. So Karen and I, this, over this Christmas uh, holiday, we went to Branson, Missouri. Someone in the church uh, had a hotel stay that they uh, gifted to us, and so we go to Branson, and you know, it's got a particular culture in Branson. You know, where else can you hear the 12 Texas cowboys sing, you know, a bluegrass version of Amazing Grace or whatever, you know? So I fit right in, um, except for the hairspray. But um, so we're in Branson, and there was this kiosk outside of the restaurant, and they were selling quilts. So I don't know why the quilt restaurant was doing next to an all-you-can-eat steak restaurant. I guess that's Branson, no problem. So we eat steak, and then, okay, there's these quilts, and Karine loves quilts. She just loves them. And uh, I knew she was eyeing them, and I sort of knew, if you guys, you know your wives, you're like, all right, I'm spending money. And she's like, okay, honey, which, which uh, quilt do you want? And, I, and, and she said, well, I, you know, it could be this one or this one. Okay, let's go for this one. And I was like, all right, leave it to me. You know, I'll negotiate. Le- leave it to me, you know, like a guy. So I step in there, and I kind of get shaken up a little bit, and I, I kind of like, well, would, would you knock two bucks off that? And, yeah, sure, two bucks, no problem. Okay, thanks, thanks, you know. And I get back to the car, and I'm feeling, you know, okay, but I'm like, you know, I, I probably could have got that for a little cheaper. And I was hoping Kaver would be like, honey, no, you, you tried. You saved us two bucks. Good job. Instead, she was like, yeah, you did kind of show your hand a little too early. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, she's like, just forget it. We got the quilt. We got it. All right, we got the quilt. So the idea being that everything's negotiable, and we're used to pushing if we're in that sort of field or have to negotiate, or we just know that there's these situations where, where we can't uh, push. You know, we just feel like, oh, my personality's not really there, but if I did push, I, I could probably get it, but I'm just going to be, you know, happy with what I got. Let's think about uh, something other than money. So ladies, I, I don't speak from experience. Obviously, I'm not a wife, but, you know, I have a mom and three sister, or two sisters who are now married, and, and I know how it works. It's like, okay, we need something from your father. So just trust me, after dinner, after he's had a beer, you know, or whatever, there's this, you know, there's this, these steps that she goes through to like, all right, this is the right time and place and way, and if I do it right, he'll be working on the fence on Sunday. And as a husband, I know, like, you know, I, I play this just right, Karen will take out that trash for me, and um, I might even have a sandwich to boot. You know, he's like, you just got to work it, just got to push it a little bit. And that's just how life works, you know, because those who push to the top, seem to have the most toys and the most money and have the best stuff, and sometimes we wish we were more like that. Does this make sense? 
And so we come across this verse. And it's, it can be confusing. Uh, it can be, how do we understand this? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And oddly enough, I think I have both these tendency, tendencies in me, in that I can be a pusher sometimes, and I can be kind of chicken on the other times. So, so I read this verse, and, and if I'm in the chicken sort of mood, I'm like, Lord, I think I'm meek, you know, I think I'm gentle, but I, I ain't inheriting nothing. In fact, I feel like I get run over. I feel like people take advantage of me. I feel like, you know, this person in my life, family member, spouse, whatever, I feel like I'm not saying what I want, and I'm not getting anything. On the flip side, you're like, I just know I'm a pusher, Lord, and I read this, and I'm like, I mean, you know, I'm done with that one. This one doesn't apply to me. I just, you know, if, I'm, if there's a problem, I'm going to say something. I'm a blunt person, and, and I, I just want to be real. I'm going to be raw, and this verse doesn't apply to me. So, I don't know. See those two responses? This is a tricky verse. Well, we talked about the fact that uh, in the last two weeks, we're in this sermon series on discipleship, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes, these sayings of blessing. And the blessing means you have God's favor. It doesn't mean that I have everything I want and everything's easy. It means we have God's favor. Like God is smiling upon you in that situation. And Tom has done just a really great job. I mean, Tom was in his wheelhouse the last two weeks. So please get the um, podcast and the way he introduced the sermon, set it up. And, and basically the gist of it is the sermon is for disciples of Jesus. It's for disciples of Jesus. And the hard thing about uh, the Beatitudes and that they're so well-known, or even the Sermon in, on the Mount in general, is that people take snippets. Oh, I follow the golden rule. That's my ethic. I mean, I'm not really interested in Christianity, but I follow the golden rule. And I just, okay, forgive my enemy. You know, fine. Treat others the way that I want to be treated. You know, fine. And I might even say the Lord's Prayer now and again. I don't really mean anything, but, you know, I just take that snippet. So if you take this snippet, I've actually never seen anyone take this snippet. I, I just haven't. In fact, I've seen this snippet mocked. I've actually seen it mocked in that, okay, I'm a motorcycle guy. And um, I read motorcycle magazines, and I just kind of stay on top of motorcycle engineering and that kind of thing. And, you know, Yamaha's putting out a new three-cylinder motor. It's very important because only Triumph is doing a three-cylinder. Most of them are, you know, inline fours or V-twins. Like, oh, this is great, you know. So they keep me abreast of what's going on. But motorcycle guys are snarky. They're just snarky. It's a snarky crowd in general, okay? And so uh, you get every once in a while uh, some guys stepping outside of motorcycle and motorcycle engineering, and I came across this in a motorcycle magazine a year or so ago. It said, all-time world's worst prediction. Right? It's dog-eat-dog. I mean, come on. The strong survive. Push through it. Be strong. Take what you want. Just kick the bullies out of your life. Say, this is who I am. This is me. Go for your dreams. And you're going to fly, baby. You're going to fly. And those that fly were like, man, I really wish I could be like that. I just can't, you know. But to those that do, hey, I guess it works. And so this kind of like makes no sense. This can make no sense. Well, I have good news, uh, I hope. In order for this to make sense, in order for us to get our hands on it, really kind of understand what it means, I think the key to interpreting it for first is to realize this is talking about God's kingdom. It's talking about God's kingdom. Remember God, uh, or Jesus, when he was preaching this sermon, he sat down 
He sat down uh, his disciples on a mountain. He actually left the crowds, takes his disciple up to a mountain. He says, I'm going I'm to tell you about the kingdom. In fact, the kingdom is among you. It's Jesus. The kingdom is breaking in. God in the flesh, he's here. He's got a ministry. He's doing God-type stuff. He's doing healings. And here he's like, I'm doing teaching. This is the way of my kingdom. Kind of calls to mind, remember Moses was on a mountain. He got the law of God and brought it to God's people. Jesus on a mountain. Here's God's people, the disciples, the church. This is what it's like for Christians who are all in following Jesus. You take snippets, it's not going to serve you. One, it's got to be all in with Jesus. And so that's kind of a first thing to remember about this. We'll get into you know, defining words and exploring and so forth. But the overarching that's going to make this make sense is that God delivers. God delivers. God delivers. Now, a little course correction here right off the bat. Uh, I'm just upset about the fact that the pizza industry has stolen this word. Right? It's a terrible thing. This is a great word, and God is by no means a delivery boy trying to collect a tip. By no means is that God. Think about deliverance in two ways. Being delivered out of something. Right? God delivered his people out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And I hope if you're a follower of Jesus, if, you're, if you've gone all in to follow Jesus, I hope, brothers and sisters, that we have that story at least once of I was in a state of sin and misery, the catechism says. I was in a state of sin and misery, and God called my name, and, and, and God rescued me. He did, the, he, did, he did this act of deliverance in my life. Who knows what I'm talking about in here? God has saved me from my sins. He, he's assured me that I'm, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Now, I don't quite understand it all. I'm certainly not perfect, but I know this. God is my deliverer. God has saved me. I hope, brothers and sisters, that that's, that's our story. That's kind of like what being a Christian is. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're certainly welcome to be here. But I want you to know that I, I invite you to consider this is the starting place, not some snippet of the sermon. Really, the starting place is, are you all in following Jesus? And Jesus says, you repent, you need, to, you need your sins forgiven, and I will deliver you. So God delivers. So let's keep that in your mind. We're going to drill down on this text. And God, if we are to know him at all, uh, John chapter 21 says, salvation is this, that we know God, that's eternal life, that we know him, that we're connected to that life source, that we know God. And if we're going to know him at all, we must know that God delivers. God delivers. If we go to the next slide, please. Um, sorry, I am uh, Psalm 18.2. The psalmist says it this way in a hundred different places, uh, in, in other ways. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn, which is the power of my salvation, my stronghold. Do we have a God that's, that's everything? Do, do we have a God that's, you know, I kind of kind of check in with him before I make the purchases above 10,000 or more. That's, a, you know, I could probably pray about that one. Everything else... I just kind of need him to bless, you know, whatever I'm doing. And, and I'd love to feel great on Christmas and Easter, but, you know, that's kind of my relationship with God. God is not going to let you get away with that for very long. He, he wants your life to depend upon him, to know him in this way. And certainly, at least once, at least once, God, I need you. I am a lost, broken, dead sinner, and I need you. 
And we might not know that now, but sooner or later we will. We know we need something. You go to the hospital, you get a test. Oh, I didn't know that was going on. You lose a loved one, you lose a job. You're in financial straits, and you know that things are just completely out of your control. We, we, we can't operate solo for very long, and, and often we don't, sadly. We don't turn to God. We just kind of numb the pain or avoid the pain or distract the pain with something. Am I right? But God wants us to know him as deliverer. He is the Lord, the rock, the refuge. So keep in mind, we're talking about the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. And it's, uh, we know the story uh, of creation, okay? So this is where we're going to go all the way back. What stands out in this verse to me, right off the bat, is not, meek is, stands out, yes. But what stands out to me is, will inherit the earth. That's interesting to me. And I think Matthew's a very uh, steeped in Jewish culture and tradition. Matthew is a Jew, uh, I think, would have the mindset of, whoa, 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 when you say will inherit the earth, you're talking, this is a massive biblical sort of category. So the next uh, Psalms, please. You see this in the Psalms, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And these Psalms come after the story of, Remember, creation, God put the man and the woman in the garden. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and what? Take dominion. The earth is yours. Fill it. Name the animals. Figure it all out. Go. Fill it. And of course, we know the story of what happens. Adam and Eve, they rebel, and God kicks them out, and God begins this rescue mission with um, uh, Adam's sons, and then Noah, and Abraham, and eventually the nation of Israel, and David, and there's this promise for this Messiah where, where, yes, we still inhabit the earth, yes, we still have dominion to a degree, but how many know that the earth, we're, we're not quite in, in 100% peace, are we? I mean, we might think that way for a little while when you're having a great day and the, you know, the cards are winning and the rams aren't losing or something. I mean, you're like, yeah, this is great. I'm having a good, I'm having a good time, though. Seattle, I'm from Seattle, so go Seahawks. How cheap was that? That was just unbelievably cheap. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, you can think, yeah, we're doing great. But depending on where you are in the world, there's a situation I found out this weekend. A man is dying. A man is dying. And his son can't get into the United States to see his dad. And he's got to go through the bureaucracy, and, and you know, this family's in straits. That's not peace. That's not abundant. You know, something's wrong. Things are off in the world. Am I right? If you don't believe me, go to you know, Darfur. Go to North Korea. How are those Christians doing? Right? So God has a pro- made this rescue plan, this promise for abundant life and peace. And I'm suggesting that in order to understand the meek shall inherit the earth, I'm saying we see inherit the earth in this context, this, this wide promise. So the first step to understand this verse is to know God's promise, to understand his promise. It's this promise of abundance, this promise of peace in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom. And we believe now we're kind of betwixt and between. There, there are these, you know, breakouts of grace and some measure of, of goodness and, and grace, but not in, in, a, in a lasting and an abiding sense where we dwell forever with God in peace. And, and what's cool about this promise is the word for earth there, um, it can also be used for soil, right? like land. So like this is tangible. This is like terra firma. 
You know, this, this place of God's kingdom where God will be with his people in a particular place, I mean, it probably ought to have, it probably will have, you know, topography and flora and fauna. And then Revelation kind of goes into this, that God himself, his presence will light it up. The whole thing will be dancing to his praise. I mean, I, I just can't, that blows your mind. But th- that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about Kirkwood, v- Missouri, uh, you know, January 27th, 2014. It's not saying that you're going to inherit, that's going to be just the perfect end-all, be-all. That's not the end game. God has an end game in mind, okay? And the first way to understand the meek shall inherit the earth is to know his promise, a lasting, abiding place of God's presence and his people together in a particular place. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're, we're trucking. Let's go to the next step. To know God is our deliverer, we need to know our place. We need to know our place. This is what Meek is talking about. It's talking about our place. All right, we need to talk about Yoko. Yoko's a dog, okay? She's our dog. We rescued Yoko, okay? She's a rescue dog, and, and uh, Yoko is like Meek, as, as dogs go, or some people would call her Meek. You know, and I, I was her deliverer. Okay, I, de- I, de- I delivered her, sure. Took her out of that place, and I chose Yoko for her temperament. She's one of these, you know, troubled souls. She's like a greyhound mutt thing. Her ears are always back. Anybody see the dog whisper? Anyway, Sisser, Sisser would say that I'm back leader, you know? So, so Yoko's got, her, her ears are always back. She will never snip at my kids, knock them over, anything like that. But I submit Yoko's not meek. We, we think Yoko would be meek. She's not meek. Here's why. When I come home, Yoko, not knowing, will barrel straight to me, and she might not knock Benji down, my two-year-old. She might knock him down. When I come into the house, Yoko is constantly trying to catch my eye. Is it, is it now? You're going to take, now? Are you taking me for a walk now? No, God, get out of here. You know, I got to say hi to my wife and help her with dinner, but she'll just like, oh, okay, and she'll kind of tuck away, and then she'll look back, now? Is it now? Is it now? It's like, Yoko, just stop, you know? And like, my wife and I will sit on the couch, saying, first time for the evening, Yoko will nuzzle right in there. Now? Now? Are you going to give me my attention now? Yoko, away! That's not meek. And here's why. Yoko doesn't know her place. Yoko doesn't know her place. And this word meek in the book of Matthew, Matthew's written in Greek. Well, uh, the Jews uh, of the time also spoke Greek, and they translated the Old Testament into Greek. And so one thing you can do that's kind of cool is you take Matthew's use of meek in the Greek, and you look at how they translated the Hebrew into Greek. Where is it that, and how is it that meek, that word meek, is used in the Old Testament? And it's kind of like an economic term. It has been used of people who don't have land. They just don't have they don't have the means to be proud. They don't have the means to be powerful. Right? They're in this place of, of relative sort of weakness. It's used uh, in a lot of different ways. I mean, it could mean gentle. It could mean humble. But because you just don't have power. You just don't have power in that setting. And Yoko is forgetting her place. She thinks she's number one. Yoko, you're not number one. Right? You're number um, eight. I'm going to have... My family's going to be seven. Right? I had to make sure I... To be pack leader, I needed to pick a dog that was going to be number eight, not number one. And some, sometimes, in her gentle sort of way, quote-unquote gentle, she, she thinks she's the number one, or at least number two, and I'm number one. Yoko forgets her place. So, for instance, um, the Old Testament never uses this word to speak of God. It, it never uses this word like humble in this way, that, that I have no resources, I have no power. 
the, the deck stacked against me, and I, I'm just glad to sort of like be here, like among you. That's never used of God. So, so meek in the Old Testament is never used of God. Now, another story. So there's Yoko, and then there's this other guy who we might say is not weak. He's a brother in the church, and I was sitting around a table of decision makers with him a number of months ago. I'm not going to mention his name. And he is what we'd call, you know, a go-getter, a dynamo, a pusher, a decision maker. The guy gets things done. And uh, we're sitting around this table, and, and sure enough, this guy's doing most of the talking. And he's like, yeah, you know, what we can do is A. And then after A, we'll do B, and then we'll do C, and then I'll take that. And then, and then very gently, other leaders in the church would say, hey, that's, that's a great idea. Let's just hold on to that for a second. And the response of that guy was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, man. I, I'm, just, I'm just so glad to be at this table. I mean, it's cool. You know, just, just let me know, okay? You know, and we'd talk for another 10 or 15 minutes, and then he said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. Okay, okay, here's what we're going to do. You know, and he, he'd take it up again. And then he's like, but, but what do I know? I don't know anything. You know, you guys are theological types, man, and, you know, I just, just tell them what to do. That's meek. That's meek. He knows his place. And I don't want to look at this verse, the meek shall inherit the earth, and say God has some kind of um, something against the personality type. Or like we can never push and negotiate. We can never be real and raw. That there's a place, and to those who might be on the passive end, that you know, there's actually a place to assert yourself, to assert yourself. We know our place. Um, an example. Uh, you go to the next slide, the quote. This is uh, from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Meek is compatible with great strength. The meek person is the one who may so believe in standing for truth, he will die for it if necessary. The, as long as I'm within my place, what does this look like? Maybe at maybe work. Sorry, no, no, no Jesus here. All right. Fair enough, you paid me to work, no problem. Well, I'm on my own time, I'm on a break. Or, or after work, some guy comes talking to me and I'm talking about Jesus and they're coming down on me for that? You can't ask that of me, sir. I'm sorry. It's okay, you're within your, you're within your realm of responsibility. Another, another example, this happened in the late third century, or sorry, early third century. In Carthage, which is in North Africa, part of the Roman Empire, these two gals, amazing. You can read their story, it's public domain, Perpetua and Felicity. Now, the Christians wrote the history, and they, and they love these girls, so the so story's probably embellished a little bit, but it did happen. It did happen. Perpetua was a young woman, a young mom, in her early 20s. And Perpetua was, uh, was nursing an infant at the time. And she had a serving girl named Felicity. And Felicity was, I think, 19, and she was eight months pregnant. And these two women were thrown into prison for their faith in Christ. The story goes, Perpetua's father comes to prison. Says, Perpetua, what can I do for you? And, and Perpetua said, my heart's breaking for my little one. You just, can, can you talk to the guards so I can get my baby in here so I can just nurse him? The baby's still nursing. He's be with his mama. And I don't know how long i got to ride this thing out, but I ain't changing. Just to see if you can get, get my baby to me. So they bring Perpetua's baby to her, and she nurses the baby in, in the prison. And she's like, oh, my heart's greatly relieved. I was worried for that little guy. And, you know, everybody was worried, but I'm just glad. You know, I'm glad. But we're praying. I'm going to ride it out here. Her dad goes to Perpetua and says, look, Perpetua, just, just, you know, renounce your faith in Christ. You've got to get out of prison. You're a mom, for crying out loud. And Perpetua says, Dad, do you see the picture over there hanging on the wall? The, the picture, the, the, you know, like a, a juice picture or wine picture or something? Dad says, yeah. And Perpetua says, can I call it anything other than a picture? And her dad says, well, no. And she says, well, 
Can I call myself not other than I am a Christian? I cannot. Perpetua knows her place. She knows that's in her realm of responsibility. And she was martyred 203 in, in March, uh, March 203. Um, so that's what it might look like. That's what it might look like. So we're saying that in order to understand the meek shall inherit the earth, we need to first understand God's promise. Number two, understand our place. And I mentioned the fact that this, this word, meek, is never applied to God. Never, never applied to God. Except, except relating to the rescue mission. Except the rescue mission. Zechariah 9, 9, 9, which Matthew quotes about Jesus. Rejoice, O greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation is he. Humble, same word, humble, meek, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Oh, Matthew used this word one more time, applied to Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm entering into your place, a powerful God, a, a God Almighty, a powerful God coming into this place of weakness and understanding, voluntarily limiting his resources for this coming, his first coming. It didn't come in power to kick out the Romans. It didn't come for the peace that we're hoping for just yet, because there's a problem. There's a massive problem. This word inheritance Requires a death, doesn't it? An inheritance requires a death. Requires a death. And there's this promise to humanity that they can't, they can't take. Humanity doesn't want God. They, they said, God, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on now. I'm going to do it my own way. That's the decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden. And that's the decision that we make every day. God, I'm going to do it my way. Thank you very much. I've got it. It looks like I can, yeah, I'll be fine here. I'm done. And God cuts off, cuts off the, that life, limits it, limits it to only a certain amount of time. We have the time to consider this, and he cuts that off. That's why we die. And if we don't know him, if he does not deliver us, we will die in our sins. We're looking for God as deliverer. We want to inherit the promise. There's an inheritance. What's interesting, Scripture also speaks of an inheritance for God. Very interesting. We have an inheritance. God's people have an inheritance. You look in Scripture, God has an inheritance. That's weird. What does God need? What does God need? Well, He needs nothing. What does He want? He wants a people for Himself. To share his love with. The Lord's portion. This is amazing. The Lord's portion is, Jacob, is his people. In the Old Testament, they would say Jacob or Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church. God wants a people for himself. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. In Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I don't know why God perfectly self-sufficient in himself, a community of persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So I don't know how it works with one person, but he's got buddies. There's love shared. 
Nevertheless, there's something about us that he just really likes, and he is for us. And he wants to deliver this inheritance to us in this particular place. We are with him. We enjoy him. We love him. We dwell with him in his presence. But there's a problem. There's sin. That's the problem. Oh, but this gentle one comes riding on a donkey, this one who is meek. Go to the next slide, please. To know God as deliverer, we must fully come to grips with the payment. If any of you are vocabulary types, I couldn't find a good one-word verb for fully comes to grips with. If you've got it, that would be very useful to me. That's the only way I could describe it. We really need to fully come to grips with the death of Jesus and what that means. Jesus isn't this you know, nice little teacher who pats kids on the head and you know, kind of high-fives us when we do good, do good and turns away when we do bad. No. He's coming. He comes for you as a deliverer to rescue you, to unite yourself to him. Ongoing, not just once in the Christian life. When you face trouble, when you're facing a diagnosis, when you lose a job, when you're, facing a, you're on the outs with a family member, and there's just circumstances outside of your control, we need him. We need to go to the cross. I called this sermon the match made at the cross in that Jesus... His work on the cross delivers our inheritance to us and delivers a people for God. Next slide, please. We sang a little bit of it this morning. This is the rest of the song. And they sang a new song, a new song, by the way, in Scripture, always, victory. They would sing a new song after they won a battle. Victory song saying, Worthy are you who were slain, and by your blood you ransomed. Other translation, purchased a people for God, from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Oh, here it is. There's the promise. See the promise? See the promise? They shall reign on the earth. The rescue plan. God delivers. God delivers. And the match made is at the cross. Next slide, please. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You might say to me, Nathan, how on earth do I apply this to my life? Well, before we run to application, could we just let it sink in for a second? Could we sit for a second and be moved by the fact that we are promised a way out of death? Can we say thank you? Can we appreciate? Can we say Hallelujah. All honor and glory and power and strength to this one who's ransomed me, who's delivered me. That's the first, that's a good place to start, actually. Just thank you. I'm in awe. Thank you. And if you come in as a guest this morning to consider this, what's your plan B after you die? When you're facing trouble, which you will, <laughs> it's common. Come on, it falls on everybody sooner or later. Massive trouble. Who is your deliverer? Can we say thank you? Also this, we are well within our right to push, to make things happen, to do that which we are supposed to do. If all you have to do today is dinner, great, do it well. You know, treat your kids nice, don't kick Yoko in the rear, Kirin, and, you know, just be happy. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, but there are days where she feels like, God, oh, my life is the, you know, the kids and the, the meals, and you know what I mean? That's all I got. So let me out of the house and go buy a quilt. And I say, yes, please, go. Um, if your job is to push ahead and negotiate and so forth, it's fine. 
It's fine. But remember your place. Remember when it comes to these massive questions, these massive problems. You can't control it. We can't control everything, can we? There's counselors in the room. I mean, a lot of counseling is like getting people to accept sort of, hey, you are not like God. A lot of counseling, I remember a little bit of counseling training, and a lot of it was that. Just be quiet, close your little zipper, you know, sit there, you know, and consider the fact that you just can't change what you can't change. That's useful. And then also, look for his promise. Look for it. He didn't just promise that he's going to get it to us someday, which he did, but he also said, I will be with you until that time. I'll be with you going through what you're going through. We'll, we'll work on this together. Come, let's reason together. Let me walk with you through what you're going through. So it's okay to humble ourselves and say, God, I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm way out of control. and ain't going to try to push it harder than, than I need to. I ain't going to push it all in this situation. I'm just going to sit. I'm going to say thank you. And I'm going um, to walk with you through this. Those two things. Last of all, dear brothers and sisters, God's place of reconciliation for the first time in every time is the cross. It's the cross. So whatever you're going through, let's come back to the cross. That's where God meets us. God himself unites us and promises us his blessing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time with these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for your word, Lord, and it is difficult especially when we don't feel meek, but help us to understand that we can be gentle, we can be humble, we can realize what is our place and what is not our place. I pray, God, you help us remember and reflect the victory of the cross, even as we come to your table now. In the name of Jesus, amen.